Welcome to Buddhist Action Month. Where to begin? With Africa. Scientific research confirms that human life began in Africa. According to climate specialist Richard Washington, the African continent will be harder hit by climate change than any other region to the world. Here's Villa Massara reading I Am Africa from her recently published book of poetry, I Am Still Your Negro, an homage to James Baldwin, published by University of Alberta Press and most relevant to this times. The book is available from online booksellers as well as an order from local independent bookstores. I am Africa, polished by the Saharan sun, blue-black, red-black, brown-black, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, thick-lipped, swinging in my hips, swimming in my jeans, ebonized like my Madagascar trees. I am Africa, a galaxy of 54 countries, nine territories, two disputed states, orating dialects of over 3,000 overtures. I am language literate, language articulate, laughing, drumming, dancing, a cappella voices telling my story. I am Africa. Diamonds, bauxite, iron, shaken and taken from my red, hot earth, blasted from my mountains, sold by corporates, ransacked, pillaged, death, blood leached from my peoples. I am Africa. Pharaohs, gods, idols, kings, queens, pyramids, temples, dictators, child soldiers, rebels, Muslims, Christians, traditional, amputation, starvation, ethnic cleansing. I am seeking reparations. I am Africa. Pillaged from my villages, chipped from my ancestral line, chained to my sisters and brothers, cattled and sardined as we journeyed the middle passage, dead and alive, refashioned to fit into the colonizer's narcissistic mould. I am Africa, desert, jungle, forest, mountain, ocean, urbanized, gentrified, petrified forest, a kingdom of nature, a safari of animals missing their ivory horn skins. I am Africa, the mother of all peoples, the mother of all nations, birthing the first humanoid, civilizing the first society, robbed of my riches, compensated with poverty, famine, AIDS, infant mortality, war. I am Africa. What is there left to take? Me? Africa? Me? Africa? You can never take Africa because Africa is a spirit that always roams my continent. I am Africa, 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 Africa. I'm going to read six poems from a collection of 52 poems titled A Rocky Road. I'm going to read six of them out of 52, but you can read them all as a download 
from Amazon Kindle for $2.99. It's not a bad deal, really. I call them poems, but I prefer to call them observations. A former poet of mine of Sonoma County said, how interesting, poetry as rhetoric. I said, it's really rhetoric as poetry because primarily I'm trying to make a point with these 52 observations. I like the poetic format because it makes my point with style while being concise and clear and allows me to play with language. The point of my observations is that we are severely abusing our environment, our mother earth, and continuing down this path, they just lead to our collective demise. Our actions are an existential threat to our world civilization, if not the human race as a whole. We are in danger of annihilation. Another person read my book in its early stages and said, I shouldn't preach. I took his advice to heart. These 52 observations say nothing about what we should do at all. They merely describe what we are doing. And it's not a pretty picture. Someone read this work and say, ugh, how depressing. It's all negative. But I contend that we have serious problems, climate change just being one of them. And the first step in solving any problem is to first acknowledge the problem exists. My hope all along and still is to be a healing influence by at least acknowledging the problem. So I'm about to read six observations out of a collection of about 150 observations. The first one is the guitar lighters, which happens to be the very first one I created while standing at the checkout counter at a local convenience store. And on the counter, there were these cigarette lighters in the shape of little guitars. And I thought, how interesting. The things people think up, create, and sell for the purpose of making money. A week later, I sat down and wrote this piece, The Guitar Lighters, without any idea it would lead to anything else than just writing this one little piece. And by the end of the evening, I had seven of them written. And I thought, well, why not just keep going? And here I am today with 150 observations talking to you. The Guitar Lighters. The Guitar Lighters sit beside the cashier. One last chance to make a sale. One last chance to buy the perfect something. The guitar lighters are molded from our environment into strings, bridges, frets, and things, into works of art. If only I were a mouse, I could play those guitars. But they're not really guitars. They're cigarette lighters, crafted from bulldozers, scraping vast tracts of land, crafted from oil pipes stretching miles into earth, crafted from energy-sucking steel foundries, delivered by freighters and trucks full of fuel. We've created the world into our own image, guitar lighters. The next one is called Sun Worshippers. There's a tribe of Indians in Arizona who spend their time on top of their cliff dwellings as they watch the sun traverse the sky. They believe their actions cause the sun to rise and fall. And who are we to say they're wrong? We who want our man's ingenuity to create guitar lighters that may one day extinguish the light on our entire civilization. Next is an improbable extinction. 
To be fair, total extinction is improbable. Life often finds a way to hang on. But hang on to what? Our governments, food, electricity, phones, computers, cities, and more will waste away as our web topples, but maybe not all away. We'll lose control over space and time, reverting back to animals roaming Earth without our toys from the Industrial Revolution, a rocky road indeed. Next is what we could accomplish. We are constantly at war with ourselves. The United States dropped 14 million tons of bombs on Vietnam over a mere pretext. And Vietnam was only one war. How many schools can 14 million tons of bombs buy? How much suffering could be eased by spending bomb money elsewhere? How many people could escape poverty by diverting the cost of 14 million tons of bombs? An awesome number. If only we could live together for creation rather than destruction, imagine what we could accomplish. Our skin. Our skin is a fiction in many ways. It keeps the inside in and the outside out. It makes us individuals, or so we think. Our skin also blurs our connection with life on Earth. Life feeds on life, each life needing the others in harmony. We are part of life's community. Our skin only makes us feel separate. And last one is the living Earth. And this may be one of my favorites, or close to it. And I think I borrowed this from another writing project I was in. And a part of me feels like we are just like ants roaming the earth, digging in the dirt. And we are just maybe just conduits of the earth's awareness and decisions it makes. The living earth. Is the bee the being autonomously alive? Or is it actually the hive that eats and breathes and procreates? which the bee merely accommodates. Looking down from sunlit sky upon vast tracks on the tropoli, there are swarms and swarms of human beings. But is it not the earth that sings? Looking out from moon's lit window upon mother earth's proud glow, earth smiles broadly with maternal delights, nursing her newborn satellites. I'm Shunya Mala. I practice with the San Francisco Buddhist Center, and I have for many years, maybe like 25 years. I'm active in a lot of different things that, that go on at the center, and I'm very happy that the environment is now one of them. So how did you, if you can, remember like how you became interested in climate change or the environment in general and what drives you to the topic now? Yeah, um, it actually was many years ago. Um, in the past, I was an architect and my husband's an architect as well. Um, and 
we started getting interested in off-grid projects, which means, you know, there's no, uh, and, and I had to discover what that means. That means like you turn the faucet on and the water doesn't come from the faucet. It comes from a well. Uh, the light switch, the power doesn't come from a light switch. It comes from your solar panels and, you know, the weather that's impacted by the weather that's happening outside and, you know, just built different building practices and different materials. Um, so it's pretty all-encompassing when you start looking at a building project, and that's when my interest uh, peaked. Um, and um, well, I don't know if it peaked, but that's when it started growing, and um, it just continues to because the situation uh, just is getting more and more dire. I know from being in Tango with you that you have land in the north, but is there anything about your land up there that you think people might find interesting? Yes, it is off-grid, and it's very, very rural. So you feel like you are in the full power of nature, whatever that might mean for the day or the night. And it, it's, it's amazing. And it is very, when I say power, it is. It's just a very dynamic situation, very different than, I think, what our society has trained us to be separate from nature. And when you're there on this land, you know, you're just one with nature and you're, you're the very, very small one at that. <laughs> and then, um, so we're off grid, so we had to really work with all the elements and figure out how best to do that. And then about four or five years ago, we decided to uh, start an art residency. Our mission was to create a place that urban artists could have a retreat, a working retreat, where they could live and work on the land. And, and we were really interested in artists that, whose work was inspired by nature. That was originally. But what's been really interesting is that, you know, so I thought the land would, would really give to their work. And it does. But I think more importantly, the land gives to the artist. So they come and they live with us for three weeks and work for three weeks. And even in that short amount of time, you can just see and sense that the land and nature has, has really impacted them and, and that will stay with them. And not only in their work, but just how the different options and uh, the potential for their work and how they deal or manage and with their relationships as well. Do you have a, a well on the land? We do. Water is such a thing in California. It is. It is. And it's, I used to be so nervous because you can watch the pump. We have a solar pump at our, at our solar panels. And you can watch, you know, like when it's pumping pretty quickly or when the, the tanks, we store the water in tanks when they're full. And right around, well, each year it's different, but usually around August, it slows down. And you get, it makes you nervous. Um, and like some years in June, it slows down. Then you really get nervous because it doesn't rain here in California until really, really rain until usually until November. Um, but again, what I've learned is that, you know, I'm just connected to all the, we have huge trees and how their roots, um, you know, gather the water and release the water. They kind of breathe, breathe in, breathe out. <laughs> and, um, um, and anyway, I'm just very sensitized to how the water is sitting in the land, whether it's for our use or for the tree's use. So my practice has always grounded me and made me realize 
that my actions have consequences, that me as an individual can make a difference. And at the same time, that it's just so much bigger than me. Um, so that actually is a good balance. Um, I feel like I practice and not just my meditation practice, but how we study and, and talk and relate in this in our Sangha encourages us to do what we can ethically, do what we can environmentally to do the right thing. And I just feel like there's a lot of support there for that, which is helpful because in the general society, I mean, it's shifting, but I, I feel like our Sangha is, you know, a little bit more on the forefront of that. You know, like I was saying, I, I do feel like we each individually have a footprint, whether that's environmental or otherwise, and that I want to do the right thing, meaning that want to cause less harm and more su- offer more support and respect our environment. Uh, oh, something just came to mind, and that is being on retreat in silence or in solo retreat, solitary. You're not, you're not there by yourself. You're there with nature. And it's really, really strong. And I, I, some beautiful, amazing things have happened where I feel like I'm not only closer to nature, but I'm starting to cross that boundary. And, you know, it only happens, you know, you come back to the city and come back to your busy life. But it, it's really a beautiful opportunity to become more than who you are. Hello. My name's Ethan Davidson, and this poem is entitled The Butterflies Inside Us. The nuclear test site was on the reservation. The coal and uranium mines were on the reservation. The spent plutonium waste was on the reservations. The spirits that still ride us would change the situation. We called the spirits down from old imaginations. The ghost shirts held their dances. White buffalo smelled sages. The hummingbirds and bees helped spread the prickly pear. When wandering in the desert, food was always there. But when the bees were gone, the hummingbirds stopped breeding. The prickly pears died out, the things we need to feed us. The humble butterflies had perished in the fires. The ones that still remained did not grow to be flyers. The sweet and fragrant herbs that our herds had been eating turned into red-brown dirt. Our food became depleted. We called the spirits down. We said that they could ride us. The long-dead butterflies now nestled deep inside us. The butterflies inside us underwent a mutation. The spirits that still ride us would change our situation. We all grew wings and left the reservation. The cities on the coast had much more stimulation, but soon those coastal cities were ruins underwater. Dead fish floated to shore. From where had come this slaughter? Dead fish washed to shore, but we could not eat them. Not even the stray dogs could eat them and excrete them. The butterflies inside us underwent a mutation. The spirits that still ride us would change our situation. We traveled to the hill folk. They too had been coal miners. The great Kentucky hills were now in the Carolinas. Peabody and their bombs had blown the hills to dust. Nothing was there for them 
and even less for us. The butterflies inside us underwent a mutation. The spirits that still ride us would change our situation. We traveled higher up to see the melting glaciers. The air that kept them cold had undergone mutation. The lower-lying lands had seen much devastation, but here clean and fresh water still flowed down from the glaciers. The spirits of the earth will change, still change the situation. We're living on the ruins of a dead civilization. The bright swastika sun is melting the last glaciers. The gourd of ashes light has risen to high places. When our time is done, we'll return to our great nations. The angry howling dead will have their satisfaction for all the times they said we should now take action for all the times we bled from splitting into factions that hurt each other's heads instead of sparking actions. When you're a flowering plant, winged creatures are your lovers. We cannot walk or grasp. We cannot touch each other. Our colors and our smells we made to make them hover. The sweetness of our taste we hope they'll soon discover. When we hear no wings and feel no proboscis probing, we know it is the end. We die or just stop growing. The butterflies inside us have undergone mutation. May spirits guide them back inside this vegetation. Thank you. Hello, my name is Moksasi. I'm from Mexico City and I am living now in San Francisco. So I get to practice with both the Cuernavaca Buddhist Center Sangha and the San Francisco Buddhist Center Sangha. I was ordained in 2017 with Viveka as my private preceptor and Parami as my public preceptor. And besides, I'm being a Buddhist, I'm also a psychoanalytic psychotherapist. With every sensitivity to the tremendous suffering that is going on, the COVID-19 and the ongoing racial injustice, I'm also aware of the tremendous teaching that we are going through. And so I pay homage to grief and loss in this Buddhist Action Month with the Buddha's words. One of the most famous stories in the Buddhist literature speaks about the ubiquity of grief. The tale is of a mother, Kisagotami, whose infant son had suddenly died of illness, a stunning manifestation of grief. Most of you probably already know the story about how the Buddha told the woman that he could help her, but first she had to bring him a mustard seed from a house where no one had died. Of course, she could not find a house that had not known death, and she returned to the Buddha without any master seed to seek further advice, having put her baby down in the forest before returning. The Buddha said a simple thing to Kisagutami. You thought that you alone had lost a son. The law of death is that among all living creatures there is no permanence. He was not lecturing Kisagutami at this point. She was already transformed. Her engagement with the people of the village had developed her empathy. Instead of relating to them only from a place of her own suffering, she had been inquiring after their own experiences of life and death. The events that we are experiencing now are putting us, like the Buddha did, with 
Kisagotami face to face with the fact that living here is uncertain and impermanent. In the story, the Buddha is also saying what was at first purely seen as a personal grief, it, in, it is now seen as an expression of something that is also a universal experience. We are right now being confronted with the need to move from a pain that separates us from others to a sorrow that connects us to others. It may feel as if you are all alone, but that is not the whole picture. The Buddha shows us that we are relational creatures. He found that feelings did not have to frighten him. Even the unpleasant ones of primitive agony could be attended to with sufficient practice. Grief can be known not only as a personal tragedy, but as an impersonal reflection of an underlying and universal reality. Suffering is part and parcel of human existence. It is in all of us, in one form or another. The choice we have is how to relate to it. We can cultivate such a vast openness of heart that the mind remains undistracted in the face of all. And if you go into aloneness without the habitual fear, you may be surprised at the sense of unknown, boundless presence you will find. I wish that in these times of grief, instead of grieving our brokenness, we could recognize that this is the nature of being human, and in it, in this brokenness, this pain, and so on, we come together and our hearts are open in compassion, in a desire to help, and that's the way we come to happiness. Thank you very much. Amitabha Climate Change Puja Worship and Salutation I bow to the Western lands, to the life-giving sun, to the element of fire, gift of the gods. I bow to the selfless heart, to love, compassion, and devotion, to the grace of the Buddhas. I bow to Amitabha of infinite light. I bow down to the beginningless, centerless, and infinite, the perfect peace of the Buddha, fully self-awakened and self-blossomed, who, once purified and expanded, shows the fearless path to realization, even in the context of climate change. Going for Refuge Sovereign Buddha of flaming light, the darkness of wrong paths and views opened. I take refuge in the clear-seeing Amitabha. As far as his light illumines, love penetrates, and the joy of faith is attained. In the boundless heart of Amitabha, I take refuge. Aspiration Following the path of Amitabha, may I become a resource for all beings, devoting myself to the welfare of others. Thereby, the great vow is fulfilled. 
The light of Amitabha's compassion touches all beings, even in the context of climate change. May the conditions for the growth of all beings manifest, wherever they are, whoever they are. May they be happy. May they be free of suffering. May they progress in the path of Dharma. With self-respect, respect for others, with vigor for the path and for the good, patient in the face of suffering, may I never lose heart. May my compassion and love become unwavering, even in the context of climate change. By the power of Amitabha's meditation, may this restless heart find peace. In the light of Amitabha's compassion, may we develop a deep, spacious awareness, creating our worlds anew for the benefit of all beings, even in the context of climate change. Dedication To the human generations to come, to our companions, the animals of land, sea, and air, the great plant kingdom that sustains us all, the single-celled ones, and fungi that recycle and transform, and those displaced by famine, fire, drought, and war, with whom we are linked in this net of exquisite energy, this living world, we dedicate this practice. May all beings be held sacred. May all beings be cherished. May all injustices of oppression and devaluation be fully righted, remedied, and healed. May all wounds to forests, rivers, deserts, oceans be lovingly restored to bountiful health. May all beings everywhere delight in whale song, bird song, and blue sky. May all beings abide in peace and well-being, awaken and be free. Thanks for listening. Eva Sonsan introduced Vimalasara. Vimalasara read, I am Africa, from her recently published book of poems, I Am Still Your Negro, an homage to James Baldwin, published by University of Alberta Press. It's available at your favorite online booksellers and on order from local independent bookstores. Paul Greenberg read excerpts from his book, Our Rocky Road, available on Amazon Kindle. More of his writing can be found at awarenessontherise.com and democracy, D-E-M-O-C-K-R-A-C-Y dot U-S. Shunyamala spoke about her relationship with the earth as a practitioner and architect. Ethan Davidson read his poem, Butterflies Inside Us. Mokshasi read a piece she wrote for this program on grief and Buddhism. Mary Salome read the Amitabha Climate Change Puja which includes revised experts from multiple sources. Diramati's Collected Pujas, The Anthology, A Buddhist Response to the Climate Emergency, edited by John Stanley, David R. Loy, and Gayorme Dorje, and One Earth Sangha's Dedication of Merit. I'm Dan O'Brien, signing you out because we're on lockdown and I live here. This piece was produced by Mary Salome for the Buddhist Center Online.